Why should an American Christian care about Israel? Other side of the world, what's the difference? And um, having been born and raised over there, now I'm a Gentile, my parents are not Jewish, but I was born and raised in Israel. And I can tell you from a cultural perspective that when Jesus, at the, before he ascends back to the Father, that when he tells his disciples that I'm going to send you into Judea and into Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth, that that was news. That was new theological ground to them. Because we Gentiles were not considered part of the inheritance of God. We were distant idolaters. We had lost the knowledge of God, and God had revealed himself to the Jews uh, through the calling of Abraham, and then through the the law and Moses and the sacrificial system. So when Jesus says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, that was new territory. And so I think that when you ask, why should the Jews interest me? Just know that that question has come up before. And I think that the Lord answered it for the first disciples. And I think he's, he wants us to understand why it is important to us here. Specifically, there are missions and missionaries that go out all over the world. But there is one group of people that even in church history have been a group of people where the church has actually said those people are beyond hope. You don't need to consider them as part of the, the, the calling of the church. Now, hopefully today I'm going to be able to spell out to you a little bit of a big picture because, you know, the big picture gives you the ability to understand the little picture. So, I'm a military background guy, and so some of my experience comes from that. It's a very formative part of your life when you're in it. And you are willing to go through and suffer in boot camp and basic training. Why? Because you are being prepared for warfare. And in order to survive in warfare, you need the training. And so you submit to the suffering because it's equipping you. And so some people, they, they get into situations with the Lord and they don't understand that you are called to warfare. You are called to battle for a heavenly kingdom against the kingdoms of this earth. And that we go against our cultures and our values that are earthly. And we embrace a heavenly kingdom and we battle for that now. And that's why we endure what we endure on the small picture stuff. Because we want to be part of that greater military operation. That is eventually going to bring and usher in the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ. That's the objective. So let's get a bigger, bigger picture view. I believe that God has laid out in scripture 
that what happens specifically with the Jewish people and the state of Israel has everything to do with the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the big picture plan of salvation for all of mankind. That what happens there is actually a key that unlocks the door to the next stage. And that as long as that door remains shut, we don't advance. And we want to know what the keys to the kingdom are. So I think the first clue here that I'm going to give you was in Luke 2, talking about Simeon. Luke 2, 22 through Through 35. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it happened, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother were marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Now, when you look back at history, 40 years after Jesus died, you had the destruction of the temple by the Romans. So in 70 AD, temple is destroyed, and the Jews are sent into what we call the diaspora. That is, being away from the land of your inheritance. And in the diaspora, we have a 1900-year or so period of time where the Jews are scattered throughout the nations. Okay, Now, Simeon is special here because he's taking a baby into his arms and he's declaring something that goes, this is before the baby has any opportunity to do anything. And he sees God's salvation. Now, it takes vision and revelation to do that. Now, there were three things that Simeon had. Simeon it says, was just and devout. In other words, he lived a type of lifestyle that sought and pressed into God. He was on the retirement side of life. And yet, he was not retired spiritually. He was still pressing into God because God had made some promises to the Jewish people regarding their salvation. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So his hope was in a faithful God who was going to keep his promises. Because he didn't see it yet, but he was going to. And God had promised, before you die, I'm going to show you my salvation. Now, we, if we want to understand 
what God is up to. If we want to, we have to also live the type of life that is reflective of who he is. Now, let me tell you a quick story. My brother, when he was, when we lived here, he served in a, uh, in a restaurant here, a diner. And he told me, he said, you know, the worst, the absolute worst time, and those of you who have served in this capacity, the worst time to work was Sunday after church crowd. Last year, I was, in, I was with CBN at a management conference, and I met one of the young ladies there who was working on their Superbook project, and she had grown up as a missionary's kid in Taiwan, and she ended up going to college in High Point, North Carolina. I said, now what are the odds? And she served tables at the Chili's. And she told me the exact same thing. So 25 years later, the church crowd still hasn't improved their reputation with the after-church lunch service crowd. Now, we can talk all the theology we want, but until we learn to show love and affection and to properly tip those who are serving us, you are representing the Lord in your community. Do you know that? And when you go to to lunch after church, you carry the name of the Lord with you. And I want to challenge you, just in the practical day-to-day stuff, you carry the name of the Lord right here. And when you do things that misrepresent who he is, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. Because taking the Lord's name in vain in Hebrew is lo tisa et shem Adonai You shall not bear the name of the, your Lord, the Lord your God in vain. And you bear his name in your community. And when you, your behavior misrepresents who he is, guess what? You're taking the Lord's name in vain. That's what that means. You bear it. Your reputation is his reputation. He's he's pinned it on you. So be honoring to the Lord in your day-to-day life and how you go about your community and represent, properly represent the grace and love that he's poured out on you to those around you. Okay? Just a side encouragement. But then Simeon says to his mother, he says, Behold this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. So he's given a something that will, two things that are going to happen, and then he gives a location. He said there's going to be a fall, and it's going to be because of this kid. And then one day, there's going to be a rising again. And I think that is a prophecy that because of the hopelessness and the length of the diaspora, 1900 years, the church, in order to explain God, has had to come up with theories like replacement theology. Oh, God must be done with the Jews. And all those promises that were for the Jewish people and physically 
in the land of Israel, they must be for us, the church. Because they fell so bad, they missed it so bad, that God probably just doesn't know what to do with them. He had to have, oh, well, he just going to, let's just get rid of them. And then, oh, it's just us Gentile church. Now, the problem with that, and I saw this on a Facebook post. It was this little GIF. What? I don't even know what a GIF stands for. But, you know, the little short little videos where something is going to happen over and over. And there was this guy, there was a river that had come through a bend and there was like an icy little like cliff type thing. You, some of you may have seen this. And so the water had curved out a little place be, below the guy and he's, he's bouncing on the cliff part of that ice where it extends out over the river. And, you know, you know what's going to happen. The guy's, you know, it's going to break the ice and it's going to fall in. Well, that's what replacement theology is. It's like, no, God surely could not be faithful to his people. You're relying on the same faithfulness. That's your hope. So what do you do, parents, when it's your kids that have wandered away from the Lord? You want absolutely to know that you have a faithful God who has a long-term view, and he has your kids in mind, right? You want to know when things are going bad that there is a faithful God out there, that he has a big picture plan, and he is working things out. That's what you want to know. So saying that God is done with the Jews, well, when is he going to be done with you? That's just foolishness. That's short-sightedness. And yet, after 1,900 years, without any help from the church, without any understanding of what God was doing, the state of Israel is reestablished. That happened in your lifetime. That is amazing. Because God said that he was going to restore physically the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And that after he did that, he was going to do a work of spiritual restoration. Well, you know what has to happen before his return? We have already seen the physical restoration of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. But now what we wait to see is the physical, I mean the spiritual restoration of the Jewish people and a full understanding of who the Messiah is. And that is what unlocks the keys for the outpouring of the Spirit to the rest of the world. I think Paul was looking that at that in Romans. Romans 11. He says, I say then, this is 11 through 15, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall, meaning the Jewish people? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. And here's the key. For if their being cast away is the reconciliation of the world, which is us Gentiles, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? 
If you think you've received some great stuff, spiritually speaking, with the grace of God and the, his work in your heart, how that, that is, if that, if their being cast off meant riches for you Gentiles, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? It has to happen before the Lord comes back. So if you're looking for the Lord in the clouds, you need to notice and take into account what is going on in Israel. What is going on? God has a big picture view of things. Now, in that little section in Romans 10, Paul, I think, he's quoting Deuteronomy 32. And he is, he is, um, I think he sees the game plan. He sees that big picture zoom out type of thing. And so his ministry is geared towards, I'm working towards that plan. And this is what Deuteronomy says regarding the failures of Israel. And their idolatry. Deuteronomy 32, 20 and 21. And he said, I will hide my face from them and I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. Children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. And they have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. And I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. You know who the foolish nation is? Us Gentiles. We're the foolish nation. We're the ones that in Revelation, when it says there will be around the throne of grace, people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation... These are people who are not a nation. And yet God has called from every nation those of us to come to him and we have become his people in the blood of Christ. So God is already saying the Jewish people in their idolatry provoked me to anger. But I and to jealousy, but I'm going to provoke them. And I'm going to call a bunch of you guys out. And I'm going to draw you to myself. And they're going to be jealous of something that you have. And what that is, is that is evidence of a personal living relationship with the God of the universe. That's something you don't get in religion. You don't get in the law. You don't go get through a sacrificial system. You don't get it through that. But you do get it in when the Lord calls you as a disciple and he says, come and follow me. That's how you get it. And you're walking with him and it's a living relationship. That is what makes people jealous. Because the God that you claim to walk with is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is a faithful God and he has a big picture plan. And we're a part of it. And I think what Paul was saying is, hey, I'm ministering to you Gentiles so that 
God's plan to provoke the children of Israel to jealousy will be fulfilled. And that one day he will draw them back in. And when that happens, watch out. That's what he's saying. That's the big picture. And that's why it's important for us here on the other side of the globe to say, what is going on in Israel? What is God doing? And how can we intercede and enter in and pray for and see the fulfillment? Because the release of the spirit there is the outpouring of the spirit here as well. We are a part of the same, you know, rising tide lifts all ships type thing, to quote an economic metaphor. Now back to the promises. We have to go, uh, there's other things in scriptures regarding the restoration of the Jewish people. And many of the Jews in the diaspora, the, the rabbinical religious Judaism actually did not want to go to Israel for the restoration of the land because it was not under the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah to come who was going to then lead them back to the land of Israel. And so when the Zionist movement started out, there was no evidence of a Messiah. So the religious said, we're, we're waiting here in exile for the Messiah. Now that was a wrong move. Because in Ezekiel 36, God talks to a hopeless people who have been in diaspora for a very long time. And this is what he says. He doesn't tell the prophet to prophesy to the people because they've lost hope. But what does he do? In 36.1, he says, Now you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because my enemy has said of you, Aha! And the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate. And swallowed you up on every side. That, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations. You will, uh, and you are taken up by the lips of the talkers and the slanders by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys and the desolate wastes and to the cities that have been forsaken, which I, which have become plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations around. In verse eight, he says, but you, O mountains of Israel shall shoot forth your branches and yield fruit to my people, Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and I will till your, and you shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply men on you, and all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited, and the ruins will be rebuilt. In other words, this is the first part of the restoration, and it is in Israel, it is specifically to the Jewish people, and it is physical. It isn't a theoretical, metaphorical promise that got transferred to the church. This is specifically to them. Now, when God takes your hopeless situation and brings you physically 
into the land of Israel, this is what's going to happen after you see evidence of God actually doing it. You're going to look at verse 24 and you're going to say, for I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all of the filthiness and from all of your idols and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will take the heart of stone out and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will Keep my judgments and do them, and then you will dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And there's the plan of restoration. It's not, it's not just a physical restoration. There is a spiritual restoration, but sometimes God has to physically work in your life so that you can say, you know what? The Lord, he indeed is worthy of me putting my trust in him. And so he took a hopeless people from all the nations that he scattered them. And he brought them physically to a land. The land that he promised their fathers. Because again, we have a big picture God. And he is faithful to the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And just like he was faithful throughout the writing of scriptures, he remains faithful to that group of people. And because what God is saying is these people and what I do with them, when you see what's going on there, you can look up because your redemption draws nigh. It is not just physical, political. It is all kinds of stuff. But we need to be paying attention. Now, how does that work out in a practical way? And when the Lord moved me into kind of this, uh, this whole idea of humanitarian, and some of the people who know me, my background is not exactly, like when you think of, okay, who, we need someone to work in humanitarian, who should we pick? I'm not the first name they come up with. <laughs> okay, it's just... Not. I don't want to expound on that too much. <laughs> but I'm not your I'm not the top pick. But when the Lord kind of moved me into this realm of humanitarian outreach, I had to hear from him, Lord, is this, you know, I mean what what uh I mean really? Me in humanitarian. You know, after Military infantry, I went into construction, and I was in that for 16 years, and I was four years in the oil fields. I'm not exactly your warm, fuzzy type. That's not like my natural, oh, yes, old grace and mercy Dan. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> Dave Shaver. <laughs> but I felt like the Lord laid on my heart Isaiah 40. Now, Isaiah 40, we know it in the in the church because Isaiah 40 is quoted in the New Testament and that's why we know it. And it's the calling of John the Baptist, you know, the voice of one calling in the wilderness. But there's some verses there before and after that I think we should look at and this is what the Lord gave me. 
Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. Comfort ye, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And all of a sudden I was looking at those verses and it's like the Lord broke it down into three sections. Now, the third section is the fulfillment, okay? Is the glory of the Lord will be revealed in all flesh. All of us, as well as all of them, will see it together. That's what that verse is all about. So how do we get there? Well, there's the voice of one calling in the wilderness and the whole hills becoming low and valleys becoming high and kind of straighten things out. And it's like paving a road. Now the body of Christ in Israel functions as the practical voice of one calling into wilderness because it is a spiritual wilderness. It really is. Israel is a... That's, that's the spiritual condition of the country. But before that voice calling in the wilderness can be effective there's a part that we can be part of and what that part is is comfort ye yes comfort my people says your God speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned for she has received we have got to come to that point where Lord How do we comfort your people? How do we step into being part of this big picture plan? Give us a vision so that just like Jesus at 12 years old, even in his immaturity, he goes in and he's like, hey, didn't you know I was supposed to be about my father's business? We need to seek the Lord and know that we are supposed to be about our father's business. And I think that comfort ye, comfort ye my people is part of the calling of God to the Gentile church. That just as we have received riches, spiritual riches because of what, of the rejection that happened with the Messiah, that we've received stuff that wasn't part of our inheritance. That God is saying, now I need you to speak comfort to my people so that I can draw them in. Because in the end, all flesh will see it together. That's the big picture. That's what inspires that, okay, how do I plug in? How do I do this? Now, you guys are going to have to discover both as individual and as a church, how it is and what it is that God is calling you to be a part of. But I do believe that in these times and what's going on in Israel, that 
the Lord may tarry. And if he does, how am I going to walk faithfully and responsibly before my God in order to fulfill all that he has called me to fulfill in my time? How do I stay faithful to him? And that's part of the vision that I think you guys are going to discover as a body. And of course, we look forward to seeing you and interacting with you over there. All right, man? Let's pray. Lord, you know Hope City. You know the people that come here, and you know what you're doing here. And I just ask that you would unlock the keys, the door of revelation for Hope City, that you would give them a vision that is beyond what they've seen so far, that you're calling them to more than just the tri-state, that this, this area of High Point, Winston-Salem, and Greensboro would be impacted by an outpouring of the Spirit on your people in this community, that they would learn to love each other and learn to demonstrate that same grace to those around them. And I ask that you would give them a heart to understand like Simeon the ability to see your salvation in their lifetime. We thank you for that revelation that only comes from you. Help us, Lord, all to live the type of lives, Lord, that bring about that revelation, that allow that revelation to come about in our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus.